The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today to learn more about what's ahead in the markets. Investors are in a sunny mood today for a change, and it's about time. I'm hoping Ben Levison, Barron's Deputy Editor, can tell us why. Welcome to Barron's Live, Ben. Hi, Lauren. It's good to have you back. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for subbing for me last Monday as the moderator, but I hope you're happy to be back in the guest chair. Today, we have a lot to discuss. Oh, very happy, Lauren. Very happy. <laughs> all right. Let's start with the Fed. It's all about the Fed this week. The U.S. Central Bank is expected to raise interest rates again on Wednesday. The Fed has lifted rates aggressively this year to try to cool inflation, but it is expected to be a little less aggressive this month with a half percentage point rate hike instead of a three quarters point hike. What I want to know is what comes after that. So what are you hearing, Ben, and what do you think the market expects from the Fed? Well, I, I think you're right. This meeting, pretty much everyone's accepting that we're going to get a half point rate hike. Um, the, the CME Fed Watch tool, which isn't perfect, but gives a you know sort of a baseline to, to gauge things around, puts the chances at 77% um, and the 23% chance on uh, 75 uh, basis points. But I think that would be a real surprise. But as you said, what matters is going ahead. And I think in some ways, it's also um, not just how high rates go, because I think the market is kind of accepted maybe that it hits a 5%, a little higher. Um, it, it's going to, I think it's going to get uh, to over 4% today, uh, or not today, uh, this week um, when the meeting comes. But uh, I, I think the, the question really is, what is the Fed, how, how soon is the Fed going to start cutting rates? Um, and, you know, that is, that's going to be an interesting question. We already know that there's some division on the Fed. Um, the Wall Street Journal published an article from uh, Nick Tim Rose is called the Fed Whisperer because um, it appears that uh, the Fed kind of leaks its message to him um, before before meetings or when it wants to get something out when it thinks that the market has uh, has uh, mis um, misinterpreted something um, and and he's reporting that uh, you know there's divisions on the on the central bank um, about how high rates should go. Um, but I, I do think that the, the market is looking at this and still saying that rates are going to go up. But they're going to come down pretty quickly um, after that. And um, I think that's where the big battle is, is going to come. Uh, in, Won't there in- be a plateau of sorts for a while before they well, start cutting? That's what the Fed wants uh, the market to think, um, but the market's not having any of it. They are still pricing in, uh, you know, rates going up and then rates coming back down some. And um, there have been some that said that, uh, you know, the Fed is not going to be able to get the market to believe it will keep rates stable for a long time, which means that it might even have to go higher on rates uh, than the market expects. And there are others that just think, hey, it's, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. Um, and that would uh, kind of be, you know, the way that we have um, seen it in the 
past. I mean, that's kind of the uh, the the uh, old mechanism for for this. You know, you, the Fed hides rates, it starts to see that it's working, it starts to cut again because it gets worried about recession. Um, at BlackRock, in a, in a, in a note uh, today, actually was pointing out that uh, this kind of um, uh, this kind of pattern is really um, what they call the old recession playbook. And they think because of the inflation issue that their investors have to actually toss that playbook out and get used to the fact that maybe the Fed will actually do what it says. But never mind what the market expects or doesn't expect. Doesn't it really depend on what the data show in terms of inflation rates? Um, yeah, it, it definitely does. Um, but there's also just a lot in there that, um, it, you know, we know that uh, inflation looks to have peaked. Um, you know, the, uh, the the rate of inflation is supposed to hit um, about 7.3%. Um, that's a year-over-year headline number. That would be down from 7.7%. Uh, core is supposed to be 6.1, which would be down from 6.3. So this is, you know, just as we saw with PPI last week, um, you know, it does seem that inflation has peaked and is coming down. Um, a, a lot of this is, though, going to be dependent on where um, where it settles down um, and and how determined the Fed is to get it back to you know two percent to the two percent target does it have to get rates at least under three percent to really be able to say um, mission accomplished um, and so yes all this data is going to going to matter um, going ahead um, and, uh, and and it's going to be a battle kind of between this inflation between the economic strength and um, um, and, and really the markets in a way as well. For sure. We should point out that the CPI report, that's the Consumer Price Index inflation reading, will be out tomorrow. So that's something right. to watch. That's November's data. So interest rate policy, as we know, works with a lag. And the question is, what, what happens next year? Will higher rates drive the economy into recession, which you've mentioned, or will the Fed miraculously engineer a soft landing? And our economics reporter, Megan Casella, is in the hard landing camp. What are others on Wall Street saying? And what is the market telling you? It seems to be saying soft landing to me. Yeah, I mean, I think you look at what the stock market has been doing. Um, and there's no doubt that it thinks that there is a, uh, a soft landing um, ahead. Um, what I find interesting is that we've still seen um, kind of just a, a really big disconnect between the Dow Jones Industrial Average um, and and the Nasdaq, um, the Dow is down just a little over seven percent this year, um, which I'm, I'm, I keep looking at that number and it kind of shocks me just given all the turbulence that we've we've had this year. Um, the Nasdaq though is down um, almost thirty percent um, this year. Um, it just, it's it's a massive gap between the two, and it's the kind of gap that we saw uh, back in two thousand two thousand one when the uh, dot com uh, bubble. Um, and I, I do think that, uh, you know, that, that what we've seen so far is really not so much about recession. Um, you know, what we've seen in the market this year is not so much about recession fears uh, as it is just adjusting to, um, to, to to the interest rate policy from the Fed. Um, that, um, you know, that, that this is what happens when rates go up very quickly, valuations have to come down, the NASDAQ was more expensive, and so it got hit harder than the stocks in the Dow. Um, and But otherwise, I think you look at that, at the Dow down just 7%, those are going to be more economically sensitive stocks, and they're actually holding up a lot better. I think that tells you that um, the market does expect a soft landing, and the rally that has taken place um, um, since, you know, the, since October, really, uh, since the beginning of October, has pretty much says the same 
same thing that the uh, you know we've we've hit a low. Um, the Fed is going to slow down, and that's enough to push the stock market higher. We will see, but for now, we're going into 2023. Much of the Fed's work has been done, or so we think, and the focus will be on corporate earnings coming up. So far, analysts are moderately bullish about corporate earnings, which is consistent with a soft landing scenario. Do you think they're going to be right? Um, no, personally, I don't. Um, <laughs> Not surprised again. Yeah, I mean, I've just I've been in a bad mood all year, and I, I feel like staying that way. Um, I I think what's you know we, we look at these numbers, and I, I just think they are um, overestimating uh, what these what corporate America is going to be able to do. Um, you know, we'll see um, the uh, earnings are supposed to hit uh, two hundred for the S and P five hundred in aggregate are supposed to be two hundred eighteen dollars and forty five cents. Um, next year they're supposed to be two hundred thirty dollars and sixty three cents, and that would be um, five point six percent growth. Um, it, but we're going to have actually some some things going on. You know, if, for, for companies to be able to generate that kind of um, that kind of growth, you know, they're going to need to keep their margins intact, and that could mean you know firing people getting, you know, laying, laying off people as we've already started to see tech companies do um, as they try to protect those those margins. But that also then leads to that uh, economic slowdown. Um, the other problem, and this is going to seem kind of strange, is that as inflation slows down, um, we can see sales slow down as well because sales growth slow down because inflation does boost sales. Um, it's it's the strange thing about it, you know, as prices go, as inflation goes down, benefits. It's yeah, companies can charge more and sales rise with it, um, and that's and and that's something that uh, might be a headwind to sales as well. So I, I think even if, as you talk to people, um, you, you talk to strategists, most of them recognize that the sort of what they call the bottoms up. Um, set earnings, um, this this idea that we're going to get, that, that's from looking at what all the different analysts are saying about their companies and coming up with an aggregate uh, growth number. And this, so this number of $230.63, I think most strategists look at that and say, this is too high. Uh, we had uh, Chris Harvey on um, a couple of Mondays ago. Actually, I think he was on on a Wednesday. That was a, a switch around date. Um, but uh, you know, he he commented that it was too high, and that he thinks that there's going to be, you know, pretty, you know, it's going to be pretty flat on a year over year basis. But I, I do think that this number that people are expecting is just uh, is just too high. Now, that being said, that's often what has happened um, before COVID and everything. You know, analysts would have a number, and that number would gradually come down almost every year. Um, rarely did uh, do analysts get uh, come in not optimistic enough. They're almost always too optimistic. So that would be kind of a more normal situation. But it's still one that I think, depending on how much uh, you know earnings miss that mark, um, it, it, it could it could still hurt the market. So what does all this mean for the stock market? It's um, never too soon to forecast the next year and maybe the year after that. We've talked about the Fed. We've talked about corporate earnings. Are we going to get a recovery next year in the market that so many people want and expect, or are we going to get a continuation of the bear based um, on the earnings forecast and higher rates? Well, I think there are, are a few scenarios that uh, people are looking at. Um, one is kind of this soft landing scenario that inflation slows, 
earnings remain resilient. And, you know, the market is able to kind of rally through that, uh, maybe back towards its all time high. Um, you know, the, corporate America has proven itself to be very good at, at managing earnings and managing difficult environments. Um, and as long as the, uh, the Fed doesn't blow up the economy, um, hey, why not? Um, another popular view is that, uh, you know, the market is already starting to realize um, that uh, that this rally has been just a bear market rally that uh you know people it's it's the time of the year where you buy uh you buy stocks um and market investors have done that um but that is too optimistic and we're going to start getting that uh a downturn in the market um st start to start off 2023 as they start to price in lower earnings uh, slower growth um and that you know this rally is going to end at the end of the year and, and that's that um, the one I'm kind of leaning towards as I think through all the scenarios is one that uh, I was reading uh, Barry Bannister over at Stiefel uh, was writing about uh, today. And he talks about, you know, earnings holding up well enough during the first part of the year that, you know, investors think we've made it past all those recession fears, that everything's fine, only for them to come back really hard, um, perhaps, uh, you know, around April. Um, and that the market uh, retest lows by the end of the year. Um, and that's ki kind of where I'm at now. We know that there's always a, a lag um, in the uh, in, in, in uh, when the recession starts and when the yield curve inverts. Um, that, that could be, you know, 12 months, 18 months. Um, and, and that would put it, you know, next year sometime uh, for a recession starting. And I, I, as I said before, I think the market hasn't, people will say, oh, but hasn't the market priced in a recession? I say, and to that, I just say, no, they've adjusted the valuation on the market given interest rates, but have not priced in a recession yet. Um, but I do think we get this period where the market's going to make us think, hey, we're all past it. Um, everything's looking great. We are going to get that soft landing all, only for the rug to be pulled out from under us. That's a little too pat a scenario. Yeah, we'll see. I'm with you and Barry. But speaking of Barry, I wanted to bring up something else with you. Yeah. He was recently a guest on Barron's Live, and he published a very interesting report this weekend predicting that the Fed would be forced to implement yield curve controls around the middle of the decade. This is a little wonky, but stay with me. The report is titled The Gradual Then Sudden Erosion of Fed Independence in the 2020s. And in it, he argues that a 10-year yield of about 6.5% will be warranted by market forces later in the decade, but that a level that high would be untenable for the U.S. Treasury, given the amount of debt we have. But it doesn't necessarily mean that caps on long-term Treasury rates would be bullish for the stock market. I understand others are also starting to talk about yield curve controls. How do you think investors should be thinking about this? Well, as, as you point out, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think this is the issue for 2023, but this is an issue for later into the decade. Um, we kind of got a preview of things when the UK budget plan um, was announced earlier this year and the uh, uh, gilts market, uh, the long-term gilts market kind of went crazy and, they had, and the plan had to be withdrawn. They were going to spend a ton of money. And the, the market said, uh, no, we don't think so. Um, and I think that that's going to become more important as we move through the decade. We've been able to spend, many countries have been able to spend without having to, to really worry about it um, for quite a long time, in the U.S. in, in particular. Um, but there, there could come a point where the market starts to 
worry about um, about the budget. And one of the things that we have to worry about here in the United States is because of the mass, and this is to uh, Barry Bannister's point, because of this massive debt load that the U.S. has, as the rates move higher, the amount of um, money going to just interest coverage, those interest payments, is going to grow as well. Um, and there will, there could become a point where that just becomes too much for the U.S. Treasury. Um, and this isn't unprecedented. You actually saw uh, something like this happen uh, after World War II, um, where rates probably should have been higher. Um, they were they were kept low um, by U.S. Treasury, and the there was actually a, a bit of a battle between the Fed and the Treasury for the Fed to finally get its independence back, um, starting in the 1950s. Um, but it was it was a very interesting time, both for the market and for the Fed and monetary policy and the and the economy. Um, and, and it could be something that uh, you know we do have to start worrying about again. Um, I think the reason you you do start worrying about it from an investor point of view is that um, does the does, does the stock market or do investors start to look on the U.S. as a place that just isn't the kind of safe haven that it was once before? Um, and I think it's an open question and we'll have to see. Um, but, uh, you know, if the market, maybe it is pricing, it will price the market off of yields that are too low, but it might be start. It might just decide to look outside the U.S. for, for other markets. Well, we will either have to live with higher rates or higher inflation. That's what this says to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right about that. Yeah. You know, we like to be early at Barron's and talking about things. As you say, it's not until the late 2020s, but it's something worth thinking about now, and I'm glad he wrote about it. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, Ben, let's move on to look at some earnings announcements this week. We will take questions at the end of the call, so I encourage people to type in their questions now. We've got Oracle reporting today, and the software giant shares have held up pretty well this year. Tell us more about Oracle. Yeah, Oracle, I mean, there's been this... Uh, kind of uh, tension between old tech and new tech uh, throughout the year. Um, and it, it, it's interesting, partially because a lot of the old tech companies, I think Oracle, IBM and whatnot, um, really missed out on kind of the great gains that uh, the, the big tech giants had, um, partially because they were kind of late to the transition um, uh, that, that happened in tech to the cloud in particular. Um, and but it also put them in a better position in in some ways. So as you said, Oracle is only down eight point four percent this year, um, and it's still though it sports a PE of fifteen point one, which is you know fairly reasonable. It's below the market PE of about seventeen, and it's only a touch higher than its five year average of fourteen point five. Um, earnings are expected to drop this quarter. Um, it's supposed to report a profit of $1.17 versus $1.21 um, a quarter ago. Um, but really, everything around this, uh, around the stock, at least according to Evercore, um, is, is centered on the debate about can Oracle continue to push people into the cloud and can they um, make as much money doing that as they did from their uh, other businesses? Will it be as consistent? Um, I, I look at these stocks, I, I, you know, I look at Oracle and I think, you know what, this is a, um, you know, in some ways it's a, it's a better bet than others. Because, um, you know, we've seen some issues with the cloud for companies like Microsoft and Amazon. Um, but Oracle never really had that, that, you were never really making the argument that Oracle, um, 
you know, everyone was making the argument that like Amazon, oh, you know, its retail business is hurting, but at least it has the cloud and there would be no problems there. And then all of a sudden there are problems. I don't think anyone's ever made our, our arguments about Oracle in the same way. And so I'd be a little more optimistic about Oracle, even though there's some pressure on cloud, there's some pressure on enterprise spending. The stock isn't priced for a ton of good news. Um, and so I think it's an interesting one to watch coming in and perhaps, uh, you know, it's, it'll be a, a bullish report for it. Sounds good. I want to stick with tech for a moment, and we're going to hear from Jabil on Thursday. This is another old-line tech company. It has a ton of end markets. Its stock is actually up on the year. What is the earnings outlook, and what is the company likely to tell us? You know, they're another one of these companies that, uh, <laughs> I mean, to say that the PE is undemanding is uh, probably right. an understatement. Correct. They're at a, about 8.5 times, which is actually below the five-year average of 9.1. They're growing earnings, supposed to report $2.25 versus $1.92. And they really do have their their hands in a lot of different end markets. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it has, uh, for in, in technology, it's in healthcare, it's electronics, it's in, in electric vehicles. Um, it's doing uh, lots of different things. Um, and the, uh, um, you know, there's some analysts who have been pointing to the fact that you know there's going to be some inventory destocking um, that's going to be coming up. That's going to help, and it, it just has a because of its diverse um, businesses, it's actually pretty well positioned if we do enter a recession. Um, just because you know not all these businesses are going to respond in the same way to um, to what's happening in the economy. So it has 5G and cloud and healthcare and auto EVs and all these different things, and so that actually makes it a, a pretty decent company to try to to whether um what to, to whether the um the kind of market that we might be seeing next year and and it is relatively cheap um so it's another one that i think looks kind of interesting um as we uh, head into the numbers this week so the company is Jabil and the ticker is JBL. JBL. And it's, it is, as you point out, this stock has held up really well this year. It's, uh, you know, it's basically flat um, on the year. Um, but flat is the new up, right? Um, it's, Find uh, me another tech company that's flat. <laughs> yeah. and but, but what's also interesting about it is, is if you look at it, it's... Um, you know, it hasn't done a ton really since, uh, you know, the middle of 2021. And so I think there, there could be room there. Interesting situation. So speaking of tech companies that have not held up well, Adobe is down 42%. The company is making an acquisition that the market is very upset about, even though some of the art directors at Barron's think it's a smart move. It's buying a company called Figma. It's also announcing earnings on Thursday. What will we hear from Adobe? Adobe was actually a pick in the trader column very early in the year, and boy, was it a bad one. Um, it had been sitting on a moving average that it hadn't broken for a very, very long time. And I argued that, hey, if this holds, you know, the stock's, uh, you know, goodbye. And it didn't hold. Um, and and it you've had a lot of winners. Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> I have to beat myself up. It's the losers that, that it probably uh, hurt more than the, than, uh, the winners. Uh, make you feel good because they got to cut those losses. Um, it, but what's interesting about it is that, you know, the market in some ways was looking ahead to some of the issues that they have. Uh, they charge a lot for um, their software uh, subscriptions. Then they went ahead and did this deal for Figma. And as you pointed out, the, the deal makes a lot of sense to people who use Adobe. It's in the one area that 
um, Adobe didn't have. It sort of fills in a gap um, for them. And they um, and Adobe, um, you know, the, the big problem with it is that Adobe just paid a ton. There's a lot of dilution that's happening. There's actually been a little bit of um, concern from uh, regulators that, uh, you know, maybe they don't want to, to let this happen. Um, for I think the the strategists who look at this um, or the analysts who look at it, I think they're a little bit worried that the stock has had a pretty decent run since uh, the beginning of October when the market market bottomed, and that maybe um, the market that a little too much has been built into the stock at this point. So the the folks over at Evercore actually see it settling into a trading range for a while as it starts as the market tries to figure out if and when Figma that buy closes and what it's actually going to mean for the stock. Um, it's also not a cheap stock, but it's much cheaper than it was. It's at 21.5 times earnings now. It uh, has a five-year average of about 34.4. It's supposed to report a profit of 350. That'd be down for $3.52. All right, if you liked it, then do you love it now? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's been the story of this whole ride down, right? <laughs> yes, I think about a lot of stocks for sure. Yep. All right, let's look at Lennar for a moment. Then we'll go to listener questions. Lennar, the home builder, is also reporting this week. It trades for about 7.8 times earnings to 8.3 times earnings, another undemanding valuation, but that's been true of home care, excuse me, of home builder companies for a very long time. What's yeah, that, what's going on at Lennar? Well, the, 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 the home industry, as I think everybody knows at this point, it's having a really tough time. You know, the Fed raised rates mortgage rates went up with them and all of a sudden if you're a new home builder like lennar people are saying you know what this house that i said i was going to buy i'm not sure i can buy anymore now that rates are twice as high as they were just a, a few months ago um and so a lot of companies are um are basically letting um letting the orders go because they want to protect uh, their margins. I think Lennar, at least according to Credit Suisse, is doing the opposite. Um, they're actually willing to give up a little bit of margins to um, keep uh, to keep the orders going and to, to work through the backlog um, and not just sit with too many uh, houses on its books. Um, and so um, the Credit Suisse analysts um, say the big issue is going to be the magnitude of that margin erosion. How much are margins going to get squeezed? Um, and you know we will find out. And um, and then Nar will probably give commentary on the outlook for margins in the in the first quarter, as well as you know what new orders are going to be like. But this is a really tough time. What I find fascinating is you you look at the earnings. Um, and you say, hey, what's wrong here? It's supposed to report a profit of $4.88, and that's versus um, that's up from $3.91 during the same quarter one year ago. The problem is it's supposed to be just a massive drop-off in 2023. Um, and, and I think that's what um, everyone really is paying attention to is just how hard landing is it going to be for these housing stocks? How much profitability are they going to have to give up? How much is home sales going, are home sales going to drop? Um, and the the stocks are, are down um, quite a bit, um, you know, and uh, Lennar itself is off um, about 24% this year, which is a, a nice drop. Um, but it, it also, it, I mean, there, there's a little bit of a split in the Barron's newsroom. Um, Andrew Barry recently wrote about the housing sector, and he thinks a lot of the bad news is priced in. Um, I, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of Debbie Downer this year, and I, I'm, 
I'm a little bit worried about it um, and, and what's coming. I just think it's um, this kind of environment is unprecedented. I don't think we've ever seen rates rise this much this quickly. Um, but I do think that ultimately it comes down to what the Fed decides to do. Well, if, if the Fed pivot forecasts are on target, that yeah, can revive the housing market. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, you know, that uh, if the rates start coming down and people start uh, seeing the houses are more affordable than they were just a little while ago, then perhaps uh, we do see a bit of a resurgence there and that uh, the, uh, the sales and earnings estimates for next year actually proved to be um, too, uh, too low. And I think that's the, the case that uh, Andrew would make. There's a lot of pent up demand for housing, that's for sure. We just need more supply. Yep. So let's go to a couple of questions. Keith has asked a question about BDC's business development corporations. What do you think about them and other interest rate sensitive names like regional banks? Um, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, and I think again, and I hate, I'm gonna sound like a broken record. Um, that's that's me this week. Um, so much of this is coming down to the, to the Fed. When you look at BDC's, um, you know, they've been hurt um, by um, basically by, by rising by rising rates. Um, that uh, means that the loan that they've made are probably too low for the current um, rate environment, um, given where a lot of them were made. And that's pressured their stocks um, this year. And I, I think the same issue that everyone's going to be looking at as we shift from like what the Fed is going to do to what's the economy going to do and what our earnings going to do. That's where you have to, you might have another leg down in BDCs um, that uh, they, um, that, uh, you know, it, it now if the, if the economy does start to slow, do you end up with credit problems within their, uh, within their books? Um, and the stocks aren't down a ton. I mean, it's, uh, you look at uh, Aries is down uh, 14%. It's holding up uh, pretty well compared to, you know, it's, it's beating the S&P 500. Um, and, and so, but I think that's the next worry is that you, you have to start thinking about, are there credit problems within the, within the loan books uh, for these BDCs? Right. And, and credit problems out there in general. Yes, very much so. I mean, I think that's going to be one of the big issues um, for, you know, for banks. Um, you know, are, are there are they going to have to start, uh, um, you know, reserving money for loan losses? Um, I think it's going to come for the bond market, too. You know, you're seeing people say to start pivoting away from high yield into into more uh, steady uh, corporate bond uh, issues. Um, so I, I think it's just going to be one of those things that, again, if the Fed can engineer a soft landing, hey, everything's uh, everything's great. And these might be great buys. If it can't, there might be a problem. I'll tell you, if Jay Powell engineers a soft landing, he'll belong on Mount Rushmore of Fed leaders. <laughs> Absolutely. He's got a lot on his shoulders. So Hal asks a related question. Does it really make much difference if rates start to come down in three, six, or nine months, if they invariably will come down in sort of the midterm? Um, I, I think it does, um, mainly because the longer they stay high, the more... Um, the more pressure it's putting on the economy, um, and yeah, and there was no release valve, um, and, and so it becomes a question of when does the Fed cut, and when does that cut become a tailwind for stocks, at least for the valuations, and then for the economy because it it acts on a lag. Um, so it it does, um, um, 
you know, it, 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 I think it, it does matter, um, the timing. Um, I think that's also what threw the market off this year is that, you know, everyone kind of knew that rate hikes were coming, um, but nobody expected the Fed to have to do what it do, what it did this year with these three quarter point rate hikes, um, you know, quick succession and, and, and whatnot. It's just uh, timing ends up mattering. And as much as time, timing is the speed. Um, you know, that if you go fast, you, there's more chance of breaking things. But on the other side, if you cut fast, it's uh, you get a big boost as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Moving to a, a current issue as opposed to the mid or longer term. Doug wants to know what you think about Amgen buying Horizon Pharma. That's a big deal in the market today. Uh, that is a good question and one that uh, I'm think I'd probably better let letting Josh answers answer that um, when he talks about uh, on the next healthcare call. You know, I often do look at, um, you know, the market and what it's doing and the, and the market's kind of shrugging. Um, you know, the, the stock is off uh, 1.5%. Um, it's and, and that's actually, I think, that's that's pretty good, especially considering that it has rallied uh, quite a bit in the uh, recent uh, in, in recent months um you know starting with that october uh that september low um you know it's it's really um done quite well since then um but i, I honestly don't know enough about the science i think one thing it probably does is uh, provide some more uh, cash flow for the company as it tries to you know keep that going and develop new products i mean they, clearly there is a lot of interest in in horizon um and the market doesn't think it's too bad a deal the interesting thing is that in a year with a dearth of M&A activity, there's been a lot of M&A in healthcare. There, there really has. Um, yeah. And I mean, all I, across I, the healthcare spectrum, not just in pharma stocks. Right. And and I, and I think what that speaks to is that there is a lot of cash. A lot of these companies do sit on a lot of cash, the big guys. Um, and the smaller ones are under a lot of pressure um, just because of, uh, of rising rates. It all comes back to rates, doesn't it? It um, does. <laughs> and so if you can uh, agree on a good price, hey, why not? So speaking of rates, Howard wants to know if you have any thoughts on the Felix Zulov interview in Barron's this past weekend. Um, I think you probably have more thoughts than I do, Lauren. Well, I know Felix. I know Randy, who did the interview, and I happen to think it's a must read. Felix is pretty negative. He sees a near-term rally. Felix, by the way, used to be a Barron's Roundtable member. He sees a, and we did not fire him. He decided to retire from the round table. And um, I'm grateful that he shares his views with us every so often in a Q&A format. He sees a near-term rally. And after that, um, trouble ahead. He thinks that the Fed will not necessarily get the, the inflation situation right the first time. We'll have to go back, raise rates further. But ultimately, he sees a decade without growth and a lot of geopolitical reshuffling. And um, it's a kind of trouble ahead for markets, but probably good news if you can trade the right things at the right times. And and who can do that? Everyone admits to it, but who can really do that? But he's very bullish on commodities. And I thought that was quite interesting. And it's I'm going to go back and reread the interview because there's a lot of meat in there, a lot to digest. Yeah, and and I think that he's right. We do periodically go through periods where, you know, the market has a theme that dominates, um, and you know, this one that I think in some ways stretches back to the early 1980s, where uh, you know Volcker tamed inflation and then rates started coming down. You've had this happen 
um, for you know quite a while now, um, 40, 40 years or so. Um, and then you have a transition period. I, I think the seventies was a transition period. It's when the the U.S. came off the uh, uh, off the gold standard. Um, inflation was a huge problem, and it, there's a good chance that what we're witnessing now is also a transition period where um, something else. The world looks the, the world's financial markets look different on the other side. Um, I'm still not sure how that looks, but it, just given you know the way that this has come to an end, it does have that feel to it. Felix definitely alluded to that, that this would be a decade of transition and at the end of it, a new order would emerge. He didn't say what it is either, but we've got quite a few years to interview him and find out. So, and we will definitely return to him. I'm glad Howard brought that up. Um, we had a question from Ram about our opinion of Tesla. So you might want to talk about what our reporter Al Root thinks about Tesla. Yeah, I mean, Al's really struggling because um, Al Al loves Tesla. Um, as I think uh, you know, everyone who reads his stuff knows he likes the company. He likes the cars. Um, one of the things he's been struggling with is just how quickly you know when we considered Musk's takeover of of Twitter when it was finally coming to a close. You know, he cited that the big risk there is kind of this uh, this hit that comes because uh, because of Musk and this brand hit and what I think has surprised him me as well is that um, it, just how quickly that has happened that uh, you know Musk really doesn't seem to have um, is it fair to say have a clue um, about um, how his actions with Twitter are impacting um, Tesla uh, or, or even in some ways what his strengths are um, you know, I don't think it's saying, uh, you know, it's wrong to say that the guy is an engineering genius, that he looked at a market that, um, you know, where EVs, I mean, he was able to, to see a world where EVs were, were popular. And he went ahead and helped build Tesla into this, uh, you know, the, the top EV company uh, in the in the world. Um, he also saw a world where the space race would be renewed, but that the government was so inefficient that there was room for private companies, and he he, he acted on that as well. I mean, this is uh, this is incredible stuff, and I, and I think it's hard to overstate how incredible it's been. But Twitter is a completely different thing. It's not an engineering. Um, it's not an engineering problem. At least I don't think so. I don't think Al thinks so. Um, it's one where you know it's it's almost a media company, and that's really outside his uh, skill set. But I think it's it's worrying investors who think he's really taken on too much, um, and that uh, he's creating problems for Tesla by trying to fix Twitter. Time will tell, but he is a bit of a Leonardo in some spheres, but perhaps not in Twitter. Um, last question from Steve. Thoughts about REIT stocks such as Equinix. Equinix, this is the company that runs data centers. And as inflation rises, REIT stocks have been published, he points out, excuse me, have been punished, he points out. Will they recover before the Fed is able to beat down inflation? Um, you know, I think it comes down to, again, those those cash flows. Um, one of the things that uh, it has been interesting is just looking at how much these have been down versus the, the private REITs. Um, our Andrew Barry has been writing about how he thinks there's a trade that people are going to make out of the privately traded REITs into if they the can get out, if they can get out into the publicly traded ones. Um, you know, they have been beaten down so much, but I think it's a lot of it's going to depend on the industry. Um, 
and um, and and on what the, the Fed does. Um, you know, one of the things that you do have to worry about is uh, for like uh, apartment rates. At what point does the shift that is happening in the workforce away from offices um, and two more work at home? You know, you, you look at New York and there are just floors that are empty. Um, you know, when is that? fully priced in. Um, are malls going to have a trouble if there is a recession or is that already factored in? And with um, data center REITs, I think it's you have to worry about the spending, the IT spending that is coming down at tech companies and what impact that has. That being said, they've been all hit pretty hard. Um, and so I would say the risk reward is is better than in, in some areas, but you still have to watch the Fed. And they've also had a pretty uh, great run. I think um, I'm just looking at a chart of Equinix and, you know, it's come from down almost near 500 and it's uh, rallied up to about 700 um, and before falling back just a little bit. But uh, it, it's uh, it, it, that's quite a rally there. And it's almost makes me want to just see wait and see how it digests it. It's an interesting sector, though, and definitely worth watching. Fair. So I'm glad Steve brought that up. Anyway, Ben, that is our time for today. I want to thank you for your wonderful commentary. It's good to be back on the air with you. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in, and thanks for your good questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, the call will focus on managing your money crypto's future after FTX. Barron's managing editor, Darren Fonda, will speak with Matthew Hogan, Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise Asset Management about the future of crypto after the bankruptcy of Sam Bankman-Fried's FTX empire. What a story. So do tune in for that. Thanks again, everybody. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.